For the ANA Champions of Growth podcast, I'm Matthew Schwartz. Score one for the newbies when it comes to CMO salaries. Chief marketers starting in a new position within the last 12 to 24 months landed larger total compensation packages than their counterparts who started in their role five plus years ago, according to a recent report. But if you take a closer look at the ledger, things are not all that bad for longtime CMOs compensation-wise, as they tend to make up for the difference during bonus season, the report found. But whether the CMO has been on the job for five months or five years, the pressure is growing on chief marketers to bolster their digital capabilities and have a bigger impact on both the top and bottom lines. Regardless of longevity, expectations from the C-suite are rising. Here to talk about the report, as well as how CMOs position themselves throughout their organization to boost the value of marketing and drive better outcomes, is Nicole Balsam, Associate Partner and Head of Brand and Digital at Eastward Partners, an executive search and human capital consultancy. Nicole, welcome. Thank you for having me. I want to start with an article that dropped in the Wall Street Journal late last month that said that companies are increasingly favoring CMO candidates with deep experience in performance marketing or actions tied directly to sales, lead gen and whatnot, as opposed to more branding. How does that jive with what your clients are seeking these days when hiring CMOs and other senior marketing and ad executives? In times of economic uncertainty, there's always going to be a move towards relying more heavily on performance marketing and demand gen. Boards and CEOs in particular, when they see that direct correlation between marketing initiatives and the effect on sales, the pendulum tends to swing in that direction. That's accurate in terms of what we're seeing in the market today. I would always caution not to move too far towards that side of the equation, especially if it's at the expense of brand building. One of the key lessons that came out of the last three years was a lesson in balancing your marketing mix. Companies that had underinvested in performance marketing at the start of the pandemic were hit incredibly hard. Yet, as we sort of recovered from the initial stages of the pandemic, those that had not invested in creating a deep brand loyalty program with their customers found that their targeted advertising was not enough to keep them afloat. Ultimately, the most enduringly successful brands are ones that do both. As an example, I know Airbnb recently cut off almost all of its performance marketing program in favor of investing on the brand side. And it's been incredibly successful for them. In terms of a major brand that's zigging while a lot of the market seems to be zagging. It's actually an opportunity for people to capitalize on that. You know, additionally, the efficacy of performance marketing has definitely decreased in the last few years as privacy regulations have increased and sort of like the gold rush of everyone investing into performance marketing has made it a lot more expensive than it was a few years ago. There will always be a need for both sides. To answer your question, yes, I think in the current economic climate, there's going to be more weighted towards the performance marketing skill set when hiring for a CMO. Okay. And I want you to hold your thunder a little bit on this whole performance versus branding debate. But the journal piece (laughs) somewhat plays into your latest CMO market update from 2022, showing that CMOs starting in new positions within the last 12 to 24 months are receiving larger total compensation packages than those who started in their role five plus years ago. So when it comes to the future CMO, do you think candidates will need a much better command of the science and perhaps the art less so 
because bigger salaries and bigger compensation packages will depend on it, regardless of this narrative that you and I both hear about the dangers of downplaying branding. The future CMO must have a deep grasp of the data and performance side of marketing. In terms of our findings that the salaries were higher for more newly tenured CMOs, I wonder if that was a little bit of a market correction for years of companies undervaluing the office of the CMO. And I think savvy marketing leaders, when they can draw those meaningful connections between their work and helping the company achieve their sales targets or goals or whatever it might be, absolutely justify that higher total comp package. Oftentimes, the decision makers on the compensation packages are not people who are extremely well-versed in marketing. Often, the connection between marketing and sales and that being so much easier to see the link with the performance initiatives helps those kinds of marketers argue for the higher compensation. In the sense that procurement when hiring might get in the way of really uh, assessing the value? Normally, when you're hiring a CMO, your decision maker is probably the CEO. It could be board members. It could be a private equity firm, depending on the circumstances. Many times, the backgrounds of those people don't come from marketing. It's just sometimes trying to beat the drum of branding to a audience that doesn't really understand it day in and day out mm -hmm. is less effective than when you can say, we spent this money and it resulted in this amount of sales. We drove these leads directly from this campaign. People tend to be able to get behind that. Sort of the flip side of the question in terms of marketers getting more pressure to increase their digital capabilities in this climate that we're in, which is very sort of schizophrenic. The flip side of that question is, in the current economic climate, is it an opportunity for CMOs to remind the rest of the C-suite and the CFO in particular on why it's crucial to maintain those branding budgets? I completely agree. It's an opportunity. I would caution it's hard to win that support, particularly when the stereotypical thing that happens in these environments is that people want to pull back on marketing spend. If there's less of a direct correlation to sales, those budgets get hit harder. But a tactic that can work really well is to showcase some of the really well-known research out there that points to the effectiveness of having a really healthy split in your marketing budget, particularly because these audiences may not know some of this. So it may seem like obvious to marketers. Educating your audience can be really effective. So Peter Field and Les Bennett have probably the most well-known research on the topic. It's called mm -hmm. The Long and Short of It. And it showcases the relationship between long-term brand building and short-term sales activation. I'd highly, highly recommend that and could bring it to your CFO or your leadership team if you think that your brand budget might be in danger of getting slashed. And there's some very effective graphics that you can showcase. And when going up against that bedrock of resistance when it comes to explaining the benefits of branding and maintaining branding budgets, would it help CMOs to perhaps do a little competitive sequencing? Absolutely. Why not? Figure out what your competitors are doing and be one step ahead of them. You could even do the flip side of the coin, which is show them just how expensive it's gotten to mm -hmm. do targeted advertising. 
As we head into a break, if it's ultimately a blended model in terms of personnel when it comes to performance versus branding, in which one person is running both, do you think that might mean more big brands ultimately jettison the CMO role altogether, as has been happening in the last few years among some pretty big companies? I've seen that happen. But like anything, I think that might be a temporary trend. When I see someone who has the ability to do both, that's a home run. Talk to me in terms of that person who is ambidextrous. I don't think that there's anyone out there who's going to be perfectly 50-50 on both. Everyone is going to have a strength on one end or another. The thing that makes someone incredibly strong and able to run like a 360 marketing program is the ability to identify your own weaknesses and then hire and build a team under yourself that can support you in the things that you're less strong in. There has to be a correlation between both. You could have a fantastic product journey, but if you don't have content that's on brand within that journey, it's going to not be effective for the organizations. Stay with us. There's more to come. We now take a break for a brief message regarding ANA Newsstand. The ANA produces four in-house publications covering the latest developments and trends in B2C, B2B, brand purpose, and across the industry at large. With practical insights from leading brand marketers, agency partners, and industry experts, our publications are designed to give marketers the real-world intelligence they need to drive growth and boost their value. Find the publications at ana.net slash newsstand. And now back to our show. Welcome back. I'm speaking with Nicole Balsam, Associate Partner, Head of Brand and Digital at Eastwood Partners, about the top trends regarding chief marketing officers. Nicole, to sort of pick up where we left off, in your report, what else did the CMO compensation analysis indicate, factoring in base salary and bonus as it relates to CMO tenure? When we first looked at the data, which was over the summer, it was early Q3, the data was showing that CMOs who had changed roles in the last two years were out earning their longer tenured counterparts. Recently, though, I have started on a new version of the report that has the holistic data from all of 2022. There were some promising updates for those who've been in their roles for three or more years. One is that the national median base salary actually increased 11% across the board. That's really good news for everyone. The other really interesting trend was that the total compensation for the candidates who had been in their role for less than two years was actually lower than those who had been in their role three or more years. What could that indicate? It could mean that the newer hires didn't receive as significant of a bonus as the tenured group. Perhaps executives saw what was happening in the market and used the bonus season as an opportunity to reward the loyalty and maybe do a little bit of a market correction for those who had stayed in their roles throughout the last 12 months of so many CMOs turning over. So some slight reverse engineering there. The ultimate trend is that people who've been in the job three or more years have lower bases. At the end of the day, they took home more money than the newer tenured CMOs who maybe need to prove themselves in order to receive a big bonus. 
So not necessarily glass totally half empty for those CMOs who are perhaps analog babies instead of digital babies. You have to advocate for yourself though. You don't get these annual bonuses in a vacuum. Even going in with the data from the first half of the year and saying, look, XYZ CMO down the road is earning 20% more than me. I know that I have an opportunity to potentially get that if I were to move, but I want to stay working with your team. I think you have to be your own best advocate. Otherwise, they're not just going to come to you generally and say, here's a giant bonus. Here you You go. I mean, yeah, yeah. You make a really valid point in terms of being proactive, which comes back to relationships and comes back to trust. And Nicole, the C-suite, of course, is increasingly looking to CMOs to drive the customer experience and e-commerce in terms of growth. But one of the most salient findings in the report was that CMOs are ceding ownership of these initiatives to other roles in the enterprise, such as the chief data officer, for example. What are some of the remedies for CMOs to reverse that trend? Yeah, I think it depends on the size and scale of the organization because every organization is going to structure their marketing customer experience and e-commerce organizations in a way that makes sense for them operationally and financially. Depending on the scale, it's certainly been something that we've been seeing a lot more of in the last three years or so is these highly specialized C-suite roles like a chief data or a chief experience officer marketers will never be doing themselves a disservice by having an understanding of those disciplines and especially how those correlate with marketing. I would ask marketers to ask themselves, do you really want to own everything? A problem. I think it goes back to the idea of building a strong team under yourself, mm-hmm. making sure that you have the a subject matter expert who is an advocate for you and who you work collaboratively with. Additionally, there's this idea of the CMO being able to create connections internally that other Mm -hmm. C-suite executives don't really have the same sort of level of visibility into. That's a huge asset for all CMOs. As much as you can to build those strong connections with the other parts of your organization is going to be an asset and maybe help you keep some of the responsibility. Predicated on achieving some success, of course, Mm -hmm. does having a productive relationship with the rest of the organization better enable CMOs to redefine their role to what you just referred to as the chief connecting officer? What specifically from a day-to-day real tangible aspect, what does the connective tissue consist of? So as we've alluded to, the CMO has a really unique position because they can really see into many disparate areas of an organization that other C-level leaders may not have as much day-to-day contact with. Finding ways to draw connections between the goals of each team is a huge asset for the CMO as an individual and then ultimately for the company. For example, let's say you're working with the head of sales. CMOs have a unique opportunity to help sales be able to craft really compelling narratives using their storytelling or content skills. That's not something that necessarily you need to go shouting and taking credit for. But if you can lend your expertise or as We said before, if there's a a user journey that you think, oh, this piece of content could be really compelling at this moment in the journey, offer that up to people. The future of work in general is not siloed. 
in general, marketers are really good at being collaborative. So as much as you can help people cross-functionally bring together different departments in service of the same goal, I would absolutely say that's what the, the chief connecting officer tissue is made of. Is building those bridges more than half the battle? And if you built those bridges, created a collaborative system, then the content sort of will fall into place. Exactly. And I think marketers typically have high EQ. They know what each of their audiences wants. Like you would address different customers, address your internal customers with a specific voice, with a specific message that's going to be compelling to them. The way you speak to your CMO is Mm -hmm. probably going to be very different than the way you might approach your chief product officer. And this is an absolutely key leadership skill. This is Mm -hmm. something that will enable you to be successful in any role. And as we start to wrap up, Nicole, you also make a really good point in the report about the growing role of hybrid marketing. And that despite the need among CMOs to enhance their digital marketing chops, they need to be flexible, you know, not to go strictly digital. So with the pandemic fading, you know, the national emergency and public health emergency declarations end on May 11th, people returning to brick and mortar outlets and in-person events. How is hybrid marketing shaping up in terms of striking that delicate balance between online and offline channels to drive the message? Anecdotally, events seem to be one of the best channels right now. People are hungry to get out and do things. CMOs are are seeing that there's a much bigger ROI on building the relationships in person versus mm-hmm. a, a purely digital mm-hmm. connection. Mm-hmm. So I know several CMOs, particularly in B2B, who are shifting some of their LinkedIn ad budgets towards in-person events because they're more effective in converting to actual sales. Does the belly to belly stuff start to turbocharge? I know it's perhaps somewhat speculative, but I mean, if you see with people again, having that hunger. In the next 12 months, yes. This is a unique opportunity to have a second first impression. People maybe haven't engaged with the brand in the same way over the last two years. We're going to see people kind of going all out in terms of the in-person and hopefully it'll be very effective. And then speculating further, I think maybe in 24 months, we'll go back to a little bit more of a blended approach. We'll have to leave it there. We're now going to go to the lightning round. What is the biggest challenge facing CMOs right now? Pick just one. In uncertain economic climates, There's an illogical cycle that boards often action where they pressure companies to cut the marketing spend. I see it as an opportunity to invest in brand, especially because your competitors may not be doing it. Nicole, thanks so much for uh, being here. Really enjoyed the conversation. Me too. Thanks for having me. To learn more about the CMO report quoted in this podcast, please go to eastwoodpartners.com. If you would like to recommend a guest or topic for a future episode, please email me at mschwartz at ana.net. And be sure to subscribe to Champions of Growth wherever you listen to podcasts. That's all for now. I'm Matthew Schwartz. Thanks for listening.